as Daniel read again from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 16, we are going to wrap up these scriptures this morning. I'm going to um, let Brother Steve step in for a few Sundays and uh, let y'all hear some real teaching and preaching for a while. But um, now Steve's going to come in for a few weeks uh, beginning next week, but I would like to at least wrap up this hymn. And so I'm going to try to do that today. I want to remind you that what we are looking at here is a hymn. It is a, a song that they sung. The early churches sung it. And as a matter of fact, Paul says here that this is something that they all confessed. This was a confession of their faith, if you will. Possibly the first confession of faith for the church, for all I know. And so when we look at this, what we hear is we hear this great truth, this great mystery, he called it. <coughs> Excuse me. And he said here that this mystery and this truth that he's going to reveal to us is something that leads us to be transformed in our lives. It leads us to behave differently. It leads us to live completely different. Literally, the people that confess this faith and the people that believe this faith, they are completely changed. And this morning, I'm hoping that you're going to be able to see this hymn and I'm hoping that it is going to reinforce your faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ and I pray that as we go through it, that you're going to be able to evaluate yourself and see where your life needs to transform. This morning, I want to look at some examples of, um, of what we see in lives that were transformed. Let's go down through the hymn for just a second. The first part of the hymn in verse 16, it says that, and this is the, the heart of it, He was manifested in the flesh. The point of this first part is just simply that God Himself was revealed in flesh. And this is something that the prophets have been speaking of since Genesis chapter 3 when He said the seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head. And more and more the mystery became um, unveiled, if you will. But when Isaiah finally said, He's going to be Emmanuel which is God with us. He is going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, uh, Mighty Father, Everlasting God. He is going to be God in the flesh. And ultimately what we see in this very first stanza of the hymn is he highlights the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The person again being God revealed in the flesh. The work that He did in the flesh was lived a righteous life that you and I could not live. So that when He paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, God promised that what He's going to do for those that put their faith and their trust in Jesus, God promised, I'm going to take all of your sin and I'm going to apply it to Him on that cross. And He paid for it in full. And then God says, I'm going to take the righteous life that Jesus lived, that you were supposed to live, and I am going to apply that to you. And so what we see in this first stanza is the beautiful exchange that takes place in a Christian who confesses this in their life. This exchange where Jesus takes all of your sin and He gives you all of His righteousness. And would you agree with Paul this morning when he says, Great is the mystery of godliness. This right here is something that is hard to explain. It's hard for us to comprehend. But we know God said He was going to do it. And we know God did it when He was manifested in the flesh. And then, every other stanza after this is a testimony to the person and the work of Jesus Christ, which we all confess. What is it that testifies to His person and His work? Well, next it says, He was vindicated by the Spirit 
In other words, everybody that Jesus came across, for the most part, Jews especially, they looked at Jesus and they accused Him of being a liar, of being um, uh, possessed by demons, of being operating under the power of Beelzebub or Satan. They accused Him of of not being the one who has the authority to forgive sins, of not being the one who can give eternal life. They accused him of being a liar when he said, I am the Son of God, the Christ, and I will be sitting at the right hand of the Father. They accused him of all that. But when the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, that was the Holy Spirit testifying to the person and the work of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit said when He raised Jesus from the dead, this man is everything He said He was. He is perfect in every way. No sin whatsoever. How do we know that? Because if He had sin, death could still hold Him. Because the wages of sin is what? But death had no pangs to hold Him with. There was nothing it had to hold him. It had no choice but to turn him loose because he was everything that he said he was. And so he was vindicated by the Spirit. He was proved to be right. And then next the angels testified to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He was seen of angels, and I talked to you about that last week. Angels were involved in every part of the person and the work of Jesus Christ from start to finish. And I can't go re-preach that sermon last week. You'll have to wait till we get it on YouTube and you can go back and listen to it then. But the point is this. The angels, they were with Jesus before He came to earth and was manifested in flesh. In Isaiah chapter 6, they saw Him in all of His glory and all of His holiness. And then they saw Him when He humbled Himself and became flesh. And they were the first ones to stand before the shepherds and say, Do you know who's in the stable over there? (laughs) Do you understand that unto you this day is born a Savior in the city of David? And He is going to bring peace among all those with whom God is pleased. Do you understand this? And then they testify to His um, godliness in the, in the wilderness when they came and, and ministered to Him. And then they were sitting by whenever He was fixing to go to the cross and He told His disciples, Do you not think that at any moment I could call 10,000 angels and they would come and deliver me right now? And the angels are sitting there just waiting. Say the word. And yet, He didn't do it. He went all the way to the cross. They were there whenever He rose from the dead. They watched every bit of it. And they were there when He ascended into the Father. And they told the disciples, Why do you stand there gazing up into the heavens? Get to work. He's coming back the same way He went. And angels testified to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And then this morning you're going to see that the apostles and the people that walked with Him and witnessed His life and His miracles and His death and His burial and His resurrection, the eyewitnesses, they proclaimed it among the Gentiles or among the nations. And that's what we're going to look at this morning is we're going to look at the apostles' testimony as they proclaimed Him among the nations. And then we're going to look at the believers' testimony as people like you and I believe the apostles' witness and we believe the gospel and our lives are then going to be a testimony to the person and the work of Jesus. And then finally... He is taken up into glory. This is God's testimony to the person in the work of Jesus. Because God is the one in uh, the Psalms, He said, The Lord said to my Lord, Come and sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. In other words, when God took Jesus and put Him at His right hand, that was God saying, This is the one that I've been telling you about since Genesis chapter 3. And so, let's begin this morning with first that He was proclaimed among the nations. First things first, what was proclaimed among the nations? Um, Because here's the thing about it. Much of the gospel that is proclaimed today 
is not the gospel. Much of the gospel that is proclaimed in churches today don't even necessarily focus on Jesus whatsoever. Most of the gospel today, as a matter of fact, will tell you that there are many ways to God. Most of the gospel today will tell you something like, well, just come and and try Jesus, and then if, if you don't like Him, the devil will always take you back. And don't get me wrong, some of us have probably said that before. But can I tell you that Jesus is not, the gospel is not come try Jesus. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you must be born again. And the gospel is look at what Jesus has done for you in order for this to happen. The gospel is this. Look with me in Acts chapter 9 verse 20 through 22. Paul actually says what they proclaimed. And immediately he proclaimed what? The gospel is a person. The gospel is the person, is who Jesus is. Why do I say that? Because remember, Jesus said, I am the one who has the authority to forgive your sins. I am the one who has authority to make you right with the Father. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but what? By me. Jesus said, I am the one that has the power over death. I am the one that has the power to give you eternal life. I am the one that brings you the gospel, the good news. What we proclaim is a person. And that person gives us good news of what he promises he can do for us. And he proved that he is the one who can do it when he rose from the dead. And so, they didn't go and proclaim, hey, y'all need to try Jesus. They didn't go and proclaim, hey, you need to, you need to come to Jesus because he'll, he'll make your life better. You need to come to Jesus because He'll bless you with so many different things and He'll get your light bill paid and He's going to get you a new house and hide you a new Lexus and He's going <clears> to... <throat> I don't know that she needs one. I'm just saying that. But we don't proclaim some type of prosperity, some type of, of there are many ways to Jesus. The gospel that they proclaimed is a person. They proclaim Jesus in the synagogues. And what did they proclaim about Him? He is the Son of God. In other words, He is everything that He said He was. Verse 21. Go to that for me if you would. And all who heard Him were amazed. See, that's the thing about it. The gospel ought to amaze you. It ought to amaze you that God became flesh. It ought to amaze you that this Jesus that we read about and all He did, that He was the Son of God. They were amazed and they said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon His name? And again, they're talking about Paul here. And has He not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? Verse 22. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus, again, this is who he's proclaiming, that Jesus was the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one of God. He is the seed of the woman. He is the eternal king from the lineage of David. He is God in the flesh, Emmanuel dwelling among us. He is the great I Am. And so Paul proved from the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. And this is what we proclaim today. And listen, I go back to the verse before that. They were amazed, not just at the gospel, but at the one who was proclaiming it. They saw the transformed life of Paul and his life with the gospel that he proclaimed was a testimony to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Look with me at a few other places. In Lystra, Acts chapter 14, verse 17, the Bible tells us that they continued to preach the gospel. The gospel is what they preached. It was not, again, 
It was not uh, this gospel that we hear in many churches today. It was the person and the work of Jesus Christ and that He is everything He claimed to be and that He can save you if you put your faith and your trust in Him. In Derby of Acts chapter 14 verse 21, it says, They preached the gospel and made many disciples. Again, the gospel was what was preached. In Acts chapter 16 verse 10 in Macedonia, it says, We sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. There again, the gospel being the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's what we proclaim. And then in Acts chapter 17, verse 2 and 3, we see in Thessalonica that he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. So there we have the person and the work of Jesus. And then notice what he says next, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you. What's he proclaiming here? Jesus! Y'all stay with me please because I'm telling you when we hear the confession He was manifested in the flesh. When we believe in the person and the work of Jesus Christ for mankind it is Him that we proclaim. We proclaim Jesus to you and what we proclaim is that He is the Christ the Son of the living God. Just a few more places to show you because I just showed you in Damascus, Lystra, Derby, Macedonia, Thessalonica. In Acts chapter 17 verse 18, he preaches in Athens. And in Acts 17 verse 18, notice what it says. <clears throat> Go down to the very bo bottom of it. He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching what? Jesus and the resurrection. No matter where you go, you see the apostles are proclaiming the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. What He has done and who He is. Because if He's not who He said He is, He can't save you. And if He hasn't done the work that He has done, He can't save you. But when you have both the person and the work of Jesus Christ proclaimed to you, you understand, I'm a sinner and I need God's forgiveness. And the only way I can get God's forgiveness is if God forgives me. And the only one who is able to do that is God in the flesh. The one who can sympathize with my weaknesses because He walked in this life. The one who understands my sinfulness. The one who is able to have compassion on me. The one who gave his life for me. The one who lived a perfect life for me. And the one who rose from the dead to prove that he could give it all to me. And when I hear the gospel of the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and I believe it, it changes me, it transforms me, and my life becomes a witness to the work and the person of Jesus Christ. In Rome, it says in um, Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, that they pre Paul said he was coming to Rome to preach the gospel. And this is the gospel that is concerning his son. Look, look what he says. Which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son. That's what the gospel is about. It's about Jesus, who was descended from David according to the flesh, just like the Holy Scripture said, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Again, when the Spirit raised Him from the dead, the Holy Spirit declared to everyone this is the Son of God in power. And He has the authority to do everything for you that He claimed He could do. That was the gospel they preached. In Corinth, and we could do this all day, 
I'm not going to take you to these scriptures, uh, but in Corinth, Paul said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In um, 2 Corinthians, Paul said, What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. In Troas, in 2 Corinthians, Paul said, I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 16, he said, God was pleased to reveal His Son to me in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. I'm preaching Jesus. In Ephesus chapter 3, verse 8, he said, This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. In Philippi, Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice on and on and on. And then finally, Peter, if you'll go to this one for me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Here's the next thing. Peter said, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. That's who you are. A chosen race. You are. You're chosen. You understand that, right? You are a royal priesthood. You are now the ones that are able to go to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are a holy nation, a people for His own possession. But notice this next part. Why? That you may do what? He's proclaimed among the nation by the apostles, and then as He's believed on in the world by people like you and me, now we carry up that same that same mission, and we proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Something in you, if you understand, and you, y'all listen to me this morning, church, wake up. Let's get down. If you have heard the gospel, if you understand who this Jesus is, if you understand what He has done for you, it ought to have transformed your life. And when it transforms your life, you ought to be proclaiming to all of those around you that I know a man that can forgive all your sins. You remember the woman at the well? I love that story. You remember Jesus told her everything about herself. Y'all remember that? Told her all about her sin. And then forgave her of all of it. And she went running back into the town. You remember what she said to him? Come see a man. Come see a man that told me everything I've ever done. Come see a man that forgave me of all of my sin. And there ought to be something in each and every one of you if you have trusted and believed in the gospel. There will be something in you that wants to say to those around you, guys, come see a man. Come see a man that can forgive all of your sins. Come see a man that can make you right with the Father. Come see a man that can give you eternal life. Come see a man that can raise you from the dead. Because like I've told you before, those are all problems that are major problems for me. One day I'm going to die. That's a problem for me. But Jesus can fix it. One day I'm going to stand before the Father and I'm going to be guilty of sin against an infinitely holy God. And that's a problem for me. But there's a man, there's a man that I heard good news that God became flesh and that God lived a perfect life for me and that God died on the cross to bear the punishment for my sins and God rose from the dead to prove that He had the power over death and that He could conquer all the darkness of the world. And I believe in that man. And I follow that man because he's going to give me all the things that he promised me he's going to give me. And my life is changing because I follow him. 
if you don't have that transformation taking place in your life, I question, have you really heard the gospel and do you believe it? Do you trust it? So we are to proclaim it. But I want you to think about something for a minute. Before the disciples went out and proclaimed this message, they were controlled by the fear of suffering and death. You remember that? Matter of fact, before he rose from the dead, Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. Cursed and swore that I do not know this man. Before he rose from the dead, every one of the disciples, like sheep, scattered and left him. Walked away from him. Everybody says, well, Judas betrayed him. They all betrayed him. They all betrayed him to a certain degree. They were staying behind locked doors for fear of their lives. How do you go from being scared of death and trying to hold on to this life? How do you move from there to a place to where you will proclaim Him to the world? They heard the gospel, they saw the gospel, they witnessed the gospel, and the gospel changed them. And the next thing we know, we hear Peter in Acts standing before the very people he was scared of killing him, and he looks at every one of them and says, you killed him. The Son of God, you killed him. How do you do that? And I want you to think about the deaths that all of these, these apostles died. One of the things that, that, that I, I, I heard about was all of the disciples died a horrible death, except for one. But he almost died a horrible death. We'll get there. First thing, first apostle's death was Matthew. Matthew was killed by the sword for proclaiming the gospel in Ethiopia. Now again, how do you go from hiding behind locked doors to saying... I'm going to go to Ethiopia and I'm going to, I'm going to proclaim Jesus. How do you do that? I'm going to tell you how you do it. The Holy Spirit came into his life. He saw the resurrection of Jesus. He believed in the person and the work of Jesus. And it completely changed him. And he saw. Because here's, here's what the beauty of the gospel does for you. It frees you from the fear of death. See... Jesus said, whoever would come after me must deny himself and follow me. In other words, you have to quit trying to hold on to this life. Because honestly, when you're trying to live for this life, and when you can't turn loose to live for God, it's because you're scared of losing this life. And so ultimately, that's the fear of death is what that is. But when you believe in the person and the work of Jesus Christ and you understand who this man is, what this man has promised, what he can do for me, you understand that this life ain't worth trying to hold on to. And Jesus says things like this. He says, whoever would keep this life will lose it. But whoever will lose this life for my sake will gain it. And ultimately, he's trying to show you that as long as you're holding on to the fear of death, as long as you're holding on to trying to live this life, you're not truly believing and trusting in the person and work and the promises of Jesus Christ that come through believing the gospel. And so, Matthew dies by the sword in Ethiopia proclaiming Jesus to these people because he believed the gospel. Because he believed in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. Next we have John, the Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was boiled in a huge basin of boiling oil during a wave of persecution in Rome. Boiling oil. And he survived. He lived. But then he was sentenced to the mines on a prison island of Patmos where he wrote his prophetic book of Revelation. He's the only man who was later freed and actually went to live in modern day Turkey today in Ephesus, I believe it was. And he went and he lived out the rest of his days in peace and died an old man. But let me tell you something. He was not afraid to lose his life for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and was even boiled in a pot of, of hot oil 
for it. How do you do that? How do you go from locking yourself behind locked doors and being scared to death of holding on to this life to being gladly willing to do it in order to proclaim the gospel? He believed the gospel and it transformed him. He was a testimony. His life was a testimony to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. James, the brother of Jesus, although not officially an apostle, remember this is his brother, all right? Jesus is his brother. He was the leader of a church in Jerusalem and he was thrown from the southeast pinnacle of the, ten, of the temple over a hundred feet down because he refused to deny his faith in Christ. Now he has the opportunity. Now listen, this is Jesus' brother. I don't know about you, but I got sisters. And if one of my sisters looked at me and said, I'm the Messiah. <laughs> I ain't given my life for that. No, I'm looking at every one of you. That girl is a liar. That's all I'm saying. All right? She is crazy. But James, the brother of Jesus, gives his life, thrown from the temple. Many traditions say it's the same pinnacle that Satan took Jesus on and told him, cast yourself down from here if you're really the Son of God. Because the angels won't let you have any harm come towards you lest you dash your foot against a stone. But James is thrown from the same pinnacle is what they say. And all he had to do was deny that Jesus was the Christ. Why didn't he? Because he was freed from the fear of death. Because he believed the gospel. And he knew that to die in this life was only to gain eternal life. That's all that was. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, was a missionary to Asia. He witnessed in present-day Turkey and was martyred for his preaching in Armenia. He was flayed to death with a whip. Literally all of his skin peeled off of, off of him. That's how he died, for proclaiming Jesus Christ. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross for proclaiming Jesus in Greece. He did not see himself worthy of dying on a cross like Jesus. And after seven soldiers whipped Andrew severely, they tied his body to a cross with cords to prolong his agony. And his followers reported that when he was led to the cross, Andrew saluted it with these words, I have long desired and expected this happy hour. The cross has been consecrated with the body of Christ hanging on it and he continued to preach to his tormentors for two days until he died. How do you do that? He believed the gospel. He knew who the person of Jesus was and he believed in the work that he did for him. And he would follow this man to whatever end. He was proclaimed among the nations as a testimony to the person and the work of Jesus. The Apostle Thomas was stabbed with a spear in the area of India and Syria during one of his missionary trips to establish the church there. So Thomas died from a spear. This was the doubter. You remember this guy? I will not believe unless I see the, the, the nail holes in his hands, unless I see the spear marks in his side. I will never believe is what he said. And now this guy dies by being speared to death in India, proclaiming Jesus among the nations. Matthias, the apostle chosen to replace Judas, was stoned and then beheaded for proclaiming the gospel on the coast of the Caspian Sea. The Apostle Paul was tortured and then beheaded by Emperor Nero in Rome for proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ. And then we have other traditions that we can't verify. Philip is said to have died for evangelizing in Asia Minor. Uh, some say that he died stoning or some of crucifixion. We don't really know for certain. We can't verify those. And Simon and Judas, the, the, the zealot. There are stories, but here's the point. How do you go from being somebody that is so scared of losing this life to literally moving to a place of, I'll be flayed to death, I'll be boiled in oil, I will be hung on a cross and still preach for two days in agony to my tormentors. I'll be stoned to death and still preach and ask for their forgiveness for they don't know what they do. How do you go from so hanging on to this life 
you believe the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. If you don't truly believe the person and the work of Jesus Christ, you won't be freed from the fear of death and you'll do everything to hang on to this life. All of your life will be about this life and the promise of Jesus for you is this. Those who desire and try to keep their life, you're going to lose it. But those who lose your life for my sake, you'll gain it. And you believe it because you know who He is and you know how He proved to be everything that He claimed to be. Next, the hymn says that He was believed on in the world. And that's exactly what happened. As the apostles went unto the nations, unto the Gentiles, and proclaimed Jesus Christ even unto their death, the result of that was that it created people like you and me. He was believed on in the world. My transformed life is a testimony to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Your transformed life is a testimony to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And let me say this. If you are an untransformed person, then that's a testimony to your unbelief in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I don't say that this morning to demean you. I don't say that this morning to try to run you away. I say that for your good. And if you feel conviction from that this morning, praise God that the Holy Spirit is working on you. And I pray that He'll open your eyes and I pray that you'll hit your knees and I pray that you will cry unto Him, Lord, save me. And I pray that He'll change your heart and give you a heart that goes from wanting to hang on to this life to living for Him. That I will follow Him because I believe Him. And I believe that He will do everything He promised He would be. Let me give you a few examples of this. A man named John Patton. I'm going to read this for sake of time, okay? A man named John G. Patton was a missionary to the New Hebrides. These are a string of 30 islands in the southern Pacific Ocean, all right? Uh, Near uh, New Guinea is basically the area where we're talking about. There were many people that tried to talk him out of this, saying things like, you're going to be eaten by cannibals, because that was the type of people that lived on these islands, literally cannibalistic people. But they didn't have the gospel. And he knew these people needed the gospel. And so... His response to these well-meaning people was this. I'm quoting him. It makes no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or worms. In the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as your body in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. I don't care if cannibals eat me or if worms eat me. It makes no difference. Why? Why? Because I know in the last day He's going to raise my body up and it's going to be just as glorious as anybody else's as His body is. Whether cannibals ate it or whether worms ate it. And then listen to this. When they arrived on the island with His wife and His newborn child. Did y'all catch that? When they arrived on the island with His wife and His newborn child, He wrote this. The tribe there had resolved that we should be killed because as they said, they hated Jehovah and the worship. For it made them afraid to do as they had always done. When they heard the gospel, it made them afraid of their sin. And they hated Him for it. And they wanted to kill Him. Speaking of angels, Billy Graham, I believe, wrote in his book that John G. Patton said, after this tribe was converted... Some 50 years later, after this tribe was converted, the tribal leader came to him and he said, that night that we had your hut surrounded and we were going to kill you, who were all those people standing around your hut with swords? And John Patton said, I didn't know there was nobody. There was nobody there but me and my... And so ultimately... Angels had surrounded his hut that night according to that tribal leader. And again, you can read about that in Billy Graham's book when he wrote on this. But it wasn't long after he arrived on the island that he lost his wife to typhoid fever. His wife died. And then I think just a few weeks after his wife died, his newborn son Peter died. 
And so he lost his wife and his son, but he kept ministering, he kept staying there until one day he literally had to run for his life and he left and he went to Scotland. When he got to Scotland, he began to uh, raise money to build a steamboat to be able to go to each of these islands. There he remarried a few years later. He remarried. He had a few more children to which four of those died. Now just think about all the trials this man went through. But never once did he stop with his mission to proclaim Jesus to the ones that God had put on his heart to proclaim them to. Why? Because he knew that it wasn't about this life. There's another life that I'm working toward. And there's another life that these people need to know about. The Bi- uh, not the Bible. <laughs> not the Bible. But history tells us that when John G. Patton finally was done on that island, that he had him and his wife and some of his new children had went back to the islands, proclaimed the gospel, and that they had developed an alphabet system for these people. They taught, the Miss Patton taught the women and children how to read and write, how to sew, and they had translated the Bible into the New Hebrides language. And they said that by the time when they first got there, there was nothing but cannibals on these islands. And 50 years later, when they left, almost the entire island was nothing but Christian. That kind of life. How do you explain a man that's willing to go through that much suffering? A man that is willing to endure all of that with his family by his side and a family that will come together to proclaim Jesus to the nations, his life and his family's life are a testimony to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Let me give you one more. We could do this all morning. One more is a man named Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a missionary to Ecuador. In 1952, Jim Elliott and four other of his Bible college classmates, they left San Pedro, California to go to Quito, Ecuador in South America. They wanted to make contact and learn to share the gospel with the completely unreached tribe of the Warani people in Ecuador. He and his missionary partner from Bible college, Pete Fleming, spent the first year in Quito learning to speak Spanish. Then they moved to Shandia, a small Quechua Indian village, to take the place of a retiring missionary. They studied hard, they learned the language, and their hard work paid off. In six months, they were both speaking Spanish well enough to move in with this tribe. When they arrived at this tribe, they also had to learn the speech of this Indian tribe as well. They learned it. Many of these people became Christians. But then there was another group right down the island of the Akas. These were a very hostile people. They had killed many people. But they decided, here's what we're going to do. Nate Sate was a, one of the guys there and he flew a plane. They came up with a way to lower a bucket to be able to drop gifts and things for the people and they could speak friendly phrases so that they knew they were friendlies. And then it even come to a point to where they would put gifts back in the bucket and be able to send them back up somehow. I don't know how that happened, but there's actually some pictures and video on it that you can research, Jim Elliott, and see some of this. But anyway, long story short is this. One day they decided, we're going to land. We saw a spot, we're going to land. And we're going to try to reach these people. And so they landed. And five of them got out and... Two women came out and they ministered to them. They ate with them. Uh, they, they, they were able to communicate with them some. Uh, a few days later, there were three more women that came out because they told them, go back and invite some others to come back with you. And so when they came out, uh, Jim Elliott and, um, and one of the others took off running across the river to meet the people. But what they didn't know is they weren't there for good reasons. They were there to kill them. And so they were surrounded. The next thing you know, they were surrounded. Every one of them had guns in their pocket, they said. But they had already committed that they were not going to use those guns to kill these people because they were there to share the gospel with these people. And ultimately, they were speared to death. Again, the story doesn't end there. Nate Saint's sister and Jim Elliott's wife with his 10-month-old daughter after hearing the news of what happened, decided they were going to go and live on the island. They went and lived on the island, and long story short, 
they ended up seeing this island converted. They translated the Bible into their language. They, uh, it, it's a beautiful story. I go back to this. How do you do that? There's only one way. The transforming work of the gospel, of the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and it changes everything about you so that you no longer hang on to this life. Look at one more scripture with me. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 15. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 15. Look at what this says. Since therefore the children, he likewise partook of the same things. Talking about Jesus, all right? He became flesh. And he did it so that through death he might destroy the one that has the power of death, that is the devil. So he destroyed the power of death when he died for your sins, because if there is no sin, then. Death has no claim on you. Do you see that? The only power Satan had was your sin against you. He could hold that before God and then death had every right to claim you. But when Jesus died for your sin, He destroyed the power of death and the one who held that power. But keep reading with me in verse 15. And when He died, He delivered all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now think about that. Because you are scared to lose this life, because you don't believe in the life that Jesus promises you, you look at this very little bitty short life you've got right here and you're doing everything in your power to hold on to it and make the most of it. And that, my friends, is slavery. That is the fear of death. But when we look at the person and the work of Jesus and we believe it, it frees us from the fear of death. And it frees us from a life wasted And instead, it delivers us to live for Him and to proclaim Him to everyone that we see. How do the apostles go from being scared to death to being willing to suffer and die for the gospel? The person and work of Jesus transformed their life. How do missionaries like John Patton, Jim Elliott, and Jim Elliott's wife, and Nate, um, Nate, sister, Nate Saint's sister, how do they overcome the fear of death and the love of this life to follow Christ even unto suffering and death? They believed in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. They believed in the resurrection of Jesus. They believed that He was everything He said He was. And that ultimately, He has the authority to forgive my sins He has the power to give me eternal life and I need the world to know that. I need my family to know that. I need the people I work with to know that. And so I pray this morning that what you do in this is you take the testimony of the apostles to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And I pray you'd ask yourself the question, is my life being transformed like theirs? And if it's not, ask yourself this question, what am I struggling to believe? What is it that I'm failing to trust in? What is it that I'm failing to put my hope in in order for that to happen? And I pray that when you look at lives like John Patton and Jim Elliott and Elizabeth Elliott and Rachel Saint and so many others, I'm not saying that you have to go out and give your life to be killed in order to be a testimony to the person and work of Jesus. No, I'm saying the transformation taking place in you 
should be a testimony to the person and the work. Notice it said he was proclaimed among the, the nations and believed on in the world. And because I believe in him, it changes the way that I live. And I pray this morning that you can look at yourself and you can ask yourself some of those same questions. Ask Peter this morning. Peter, why are you willing to die to proclaim the gospel? Ask um, um, the twelve why they're not still hiding behind locked doors, but going all over the nations proclaiming the gospel. Ask James. In James chapter 1 verse 1, he calls himself the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his brother. Listen, I love my sisters to death, but you're never going to hear me call myself the servant of the Lord Lori Miller. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. How do you do that? You go to the person and the work of Jesus and you see Him for who He really was. And it transforms you. Ask Paul, a vehement enemy of Christ, why he is now willing to suffer and die to proclaim the gospel. And then finally, I'll just say this. Ask yourself this question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that this is the Savior of the world? Do you believe this is the one that has the authority to forgive your sins? Do you believe this is the one that has the power to raise you from the dead and to give you eternal life? Do you believe that this is the one that can make you right with the Father? And if you believe these things, I pray that 2024 that you're going into, if you make any kind of resolution, I pray that you would resolve to say, I am going to quit living for this life. And I'm going to do whatever I can do to proclaim Jesus to everybody that is around me. I want them to know, I want them to hear, come see a man that knowed everything about me and yet died to pay for it all. Come see a man that can give you eternal life. Come see a man that will change and transform you to nothing you ever thought you could be. And I pray that's your resolution. I pray that your life becomes a testimony to the person and the work of Jesus as you believe on the gospel that's being proclaimed among all the nations today. If y'all would, stand this morning. This is a time of response. My job is over. Thank you, Jesus. This is a time where you respond to the Word of God. And however He would have you to respond, I pray you do it this morning. If He would have you to humble yourself before Him on your knees, there's a place for that. If He'd have you pray right there in your pew where you're at, that's a place for you. But you should respond to the Word of God in some way this morning. Do not leave here unchanged. Do not leave here without letting the Holy Spirit do the work in you that He would do. Come now, whatever you need as we sing.